So I began to realize that to really help children, we have to come alongside families and communities and begin having these conversations around what makes us more resilient. everybody. This is Dr. Chad Hawk and Matt Dowd is not with us today because they just had their baby boy. He and Stephanie just had a baby boy and everything is great and we're so happy for them. But uh, keep them in your thoughts and prayers as this is Matt's first child at this point in his life. So it's a whole new experience for him. Today, we've had Stephanie Hinman on our show previously, and today we've invited her to come back, and she's coming back with Marcus Warner. They've written a book together called Building Bounce, How to Grow Emotional Resilience. And I think this is an amazingly important time for this content, for the work that they have been doing for years to be brought to the forefront of attention for so many people. Now, I know you're not the the first people to have done this, but the way that you're presenting this information and the way you communicate it, I think makes it so palatable. So Stephanie, why don't you introduce yourself just a minute and then Marcus will get to you. Thanks, Chad. My name is Stephanie Hinman. I'm an art therapist and a Christian counselor here in Kansas City. I founded a ministry called Healing Expressions, where we produce resources and programs for families, communities, and children on how to build more emotional capacity and resilience. Excellent. And Marcus? Yeah, my name, uh, well, uh, Marcus Warner. I am the president of Deeper Walk International, and I started out as an Old Testament teacher. I got uh, did doctoral work in Old Testament and uh, ended up with a doctor of ministry degree. I've been a pastor and taught at Christian colleges. And for the last uh, 14 years, I have been uh, leading uh, Deeper Walk International, which has a, a holistic model of how to deal with trauma, how to deal with life in general that brings together spiritual and scientific elements and brings them together. So we've had a lot of influence from Dr. Jim Wilder, who's a friend of mine. We've actually written a couple of books together. And so met Stephanie a few years ago, found out the work that she was doing in the area of emotional resilience. And we realized we had a lot in common about the things we were emphasizing. And so we uh, paired up to write this book. It's been a, a good experience. Excellent. You just hit on something that's really important, the emotional resilience. And that's something that starts when we're young. It can't, it can't, you can develop it later, but it, it really, to, to take hold, it starts when we're young. And that's where you've spent a lot of time, Stephanie, in helping children move through, who perhaps haven't had emotional resilience taught to them, learn that and move into it. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. So early in my career, I worked at uh, a residential home for children with severe behavior disorders. They had all had very significant trauma. And I worked with a local hospice here in town. The kids that I worked with in those first five years had had more trauma in their short little lives than most of us have in a lifetime. And I realized during my time working with these kids that if you, you can teach children how to express themselves emotionally, but if they go right back into an environment where they are punished for expressing their emotions, it can actually cause more harm. So I began to realize that to really help children, we have to come alongside families and communities and begin having these conversations around what makes us more resilient. Got you. Now, Marcus, when you, when she hit on the few key things there, and one of them is the the biology or the neurology that goes into 
the how our brains work. Now, this is some an area that I get real geeked out on because I've studied it for so many years. But why don't you give everybody the overview of the neurologic component that we're talking about here? Sure. So we uh, said that there are two brain developments that have to take place in order to build bounce and build uh, emotional resilience. So the first is you need a, a large joy center. And the second is you need pathways back to that joy center from negative emotions. So your joy center is located right behind your right eye. It's called the right orbital prefrontal cortex. Sometimes we like to describe it as the joy bucket. It's that part of your brain that grows with the relational joy. So as Stephanie was talking about young children, we tend to think of them as, well, they can handle anything and bounce back from it. We just think kids are naturally resilient. Sure. They aren't born resilient. They, uh, if children don't get a lot of relational attention and they need what we call external regulation at that age, they need somebody else to recognize that they're upset, meet them in that upset emotion and comfort them. And they need somebody to do that over and over and over again. And if that happens, which is what's supposed to take place, then a child will naturally grow emotional resilience and emotional capacity. But if they're not getting that, what they don't get can actually create a huge hole that's going to stay with them for years if it doesn't get addressed later. Okay. Yeah. So the neuroscience on this, I mean, we can go as deep as you want. We talk about a, a joy elevator on the right side of the brain that's got four levels to it. I mean, I can describe that as well. But you know, we just try to focus on the idea of a, of a joy bucket that grows through the experience of relational joy and that that's essential to this process. And then the second thing is how we build joy pathways in our brain, which are really just uh, neuron, neuron pathways that get uh, linked together in the brain. So we haven't said this yet, and I think it needs to be said. Why joy? What, what is this whole joy thing about? Either one of you. It is interesting that uh, most people think of joy as the icing on the cake and of life. But what we've found is that it's actually foundational because... Essentially, joy is that relational sense that I get that somebody's happy to be with me. And so like infants need up to eight hours a day just of smiling faces of somebody beaming and delight that they exist. And what happens is they start to get this feeling in life that, you know what, people are happy to see me. You know, people like me. And they, they, without putting it into words or anything, they just already have this sense of joy and they develop a joy foundation to life. A lot of us just sort of take that for granted. Like if we grew up with that, we had parents who loved us and doted on us and gave us all of this joy. We take for granted that everybody's got a joy foundation to life, but it isn't necessarily so. And so when you assume joy, you don't see how important it is. But once joy is missing, you begin to realize, wow, this is really having some catastrophic effects in this person's life. Okay. So if people don't, I mean, most people don't think about joy, but what is joy in intangible terms in a way that they can understand it? Because honestly, with the way the world is right now, there's a lot of lack of joy in people's lives with separation, social distancing, wearing masks, people, when people go places, there's such a disconnect. They may not even remember what joy is. The Word of God and neuroscience both have a lot to say on the topic of connection and joy and being together and the, the joy of the Lord is our strength and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and how joy is what enables us to suffer well. There's a lot of neuroscience coming out right now that talks about the difference between suffering and trauma is whether or not I feel alone in it. That aloneness in the face of adversity is actually what creates that trauma response in us. And so what we know is that more than ever before, we need each other. And a lot of people are experiencing isolation and aloneness. And 
they are they are feeling the despair of that, but maybe don't have the words to understand what it is that they are experiencing. Okay. Now in your book, Building Bounce, what is this idea of building bounce? Building bounce to what? To get back to joy, to to find your purpose, your calling, to to feel connection again? What is the idea in building bounce? So we talk about the two main factors. The first one is building a home base, joy base camp. This is this feeling of home that I have people who love me, that are happy to be with me, that I always have someone to journey life with me, that no matter what happens, I'm not alone in this story. And that happens through attachment and through healthy relational skills. And Deeper Walk International, Thrive, Life Model Works, they all have excellent resources for helping to build a solid base, joy base camp. So that's the first component. The second component is bouncing back to joy base camp, learning how to get home from all of life's big adventures, life's big overwhelming emotions. Marcus, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, well, I think the idea of building bounce, I think we have a like a picture of a ball on the cover. And one of the ideas is like when a uh, ball is underinflated, it just doesn't bounce well. And so if you think about the air inside of a ball as joy, in our own lives, if we don't have enough joy, we don't bounce back well from hard things. And the less joy that we have, the harder it is to bounce back from anything. And so the, the question becomes, how much anxiety can I handle and still bounce back and feel like myself? How much fear can I feel before it becomes overwhelming? And the idea is that the more joy that I have, the more that I can handle. The less joy that I have, the less I can handle. And so there's a direct correlation between these because you can think of joy as the air in the ball that allows us to bounce back from our, our, our upsetting emotions. And that's huge because as uh, uh, Stephanie was uh, noting, joy is always relational and therefore it comes out of attachment. It doesn't mean you have to be with somebody to feel joy, but you have to at least be able to think about somebody that you, you, know, that you would like to be attached to. Or, and this is where, from a Christian perspective, especially the ability to perceive the presence of Christ can be particularly helpful in forming a, a meaningful attachment with Him, gives us an ability to renew our joy once it starts to run low. Okay. What are the main thieves of joy? You mentioned fear. You mentioned lack of attention or attachment to people, lack of relationship. What are some of those things? And, and where do those things come from? What is the, the genesis point for those, those negative components? Yeah, uh, let me jump in here. Uh, the, the, uh, I think the, the core thing is an, an ability to quiet ourselves. And that is, if, if I have not formed an ability to quiet myself from upsetting emotions, then any emo- negative emotion I feel can become upsetting. I mean, I can get my, uh, my joy stolen by shame, by disgust, by despair, by fear, by anger. I mean, there's a lot of emotions. Any emotion can steal my, steal my joy and keep me from acting like myself if I don't know how to quiet from that. In fact, I've heard uh, my friend Jim Wilder say that uh, the ability to quiet is the number one predictor of stable emotional health. And so we spend quite a bit of time in the book talking about what is quieting, how do we quiet, and and um, that's why, because that's the, that's the core. And if, if I can quiet from an emotion, then I'm not afraid of it. So any emotion that I don't know how to quiet from, I'm going to have a tendency to be afraid of. And if I'm afraid of that emotion, then I'm going to do anything I can to avoid it. And when I feel it, I'm going to freak out, you know, feel like I'm, I'm a bit panicked about this. And uh, so I, learning how do, I, how do I bounce back from this? How do I quiet? How do I return to joy is all part of that skill set that we're looking to help people develop. 
So when in Proverbs, it says, do not be afraid of sudden fear. Right. That's what it is. It's the ability to quiet ourselves and return to our joy. How does identity, where we derive our identity from, tie into this? Great question. I'll let Marcus address the neuroscience. (laughs) How the uh, identity center and the joy center are located next to each other in the brain. Yeah. So we talked about the uh, right orbital prefrontal cortex, which was this uh, joy bucket or the uh, right behind the right eye. This is the part of your brain that thinks of itself as me. And so what I find fascinating is that my identity is who I am when I'm living with joy. Too many of us define ourselves by our malfunctions, like by who we are when I'm malfunctioning. And that is so I will say, well, I'm a depressed person or I'm just an angry person or, you know, I'm an embarrassing person or whatever. But it's because our brain has learned to think of ourselves by what we don't do well. Yet the actual science of it is that my core identity is who I am when I'm living with joy. And so if I can return to joy, then I will also return to feeling like myself and acting like myself. So one of the things that upsetting emotions does to us is it gets us to stop acting like ourselves and we can turn into a different person. And that's why when I'm really afraid, I'm like, you know, and I turn into a different person and people are like, what are you? What happened to you? You know, what's wrong? You know, he's like, you're not acting like yourself. And, And it's because I've been so overwhelmed by my negative emotions. I don't have access to the identity center in my brain. And I've temporarily forgotten who I am, who my people are, and how it's like us to act. So there is a very close connection between joy and identity because they're literally activities that take place in the same part of the brain. Okay. Stephanie, when do children begin to form their identity? When does that move from just being dependent on, you know, getting their joy from the people who are with them or comforting them and, you know, soothing them and helping them through their trials? When does that transition occur? Ideally, it happens from the very beginning as we have those moments of eye contact, peekaboo, hours of staring with delight into your child's eyes and watching them coo and their face light up. And then every time your child experiences distress, fear, or whatever the distress might be, they have that external regulation. You walk over, you pick them up you know, it's going to be okay. You can reconnect with them. They know life's going to be okay. You help them solve whatever problem they have. And they learn that I can come back from fear. I can come back from anger. I can come back from all these emotions and I'm still a delight to be around. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so we move from there into the older stages of development. And all along the way, the who I am is very connected with who are my people and how it is, is it like us to act as Marcus said, and that that turns into a sense of I am valuable, I am loved, people are happy to be with me. I and then you know all the different uniquenesses that they learn about themselves as they grow. So, what have you been able to identify phases in life where it's more common for people to struggle with their identity? Yes, there are. Uh, so, all of us when we were infants become a different person with every emotion that we feel. And so one of the things that happens between 12 months of age and 18 months of age is I'm learning how to be a coherent, consistent person, right? I'm developing my identity. In extreme cases, people who don't do that end up in what we might call borderline state, right? Because they, they literally turn into a different person with every emotion that they feel. So this, uh, the, the, the first phase in which we are beginning to form this coherent sense of self, that I am the same person with every emotion that I feel is happening between 12 and 18 months of age. Then around, again, around age four, 
there's another burst of activity. And as I'm learning to bond more and more with my parents and form my sense of identity from four to 12, but then around puberty, there's like this brainwash that happens. It kind of just wipes out all kinds of things. And I almost <laughs> uh, literally, it's like I start over again on my identity center. And instead of taking my identity from my parents, I begin taking my identity from my people. And uh, more so, I take a group identity, like who are my people, because that tells me what it's like to be me. And so the more stable I was in my identity as a child, the easier it is to make that transition. And the more unstable I am as a child, the harder it is to make that transition. Um, And so a lot of times people, once they pass through puberty, if they didn't have really strong, stable family connections, they go with a, they they can live the rest of their lives feeling a little bit lost, like they're not sure who they are. And part of that is because they never get firmly connected to a group that they could think of as their people, or the group that they attach to is very dysfunctional and doesn't really give them a, uh, the level of stability that gets them through all kinds of hard things in life. Okay. There's a study that was done, and I can't remember what year. It's been a long time now. But it talked about children who grew up in Christian homes. Even if they walk away from the Lord, they tend to come back to the Lord later on in life. Do you think that could be because of this very principle you're talking about here? It becomes some something of it's my people. It's my original. It's the way my brain was wired. I know I was happy. I know I had joy then. I know I was connected and they want that and they can't find that in the world. And the body of Christ serves as a conduit for them to come back into that relationship. I don't know. It's just a thought that is you were speaking, Marcus, that kind of hit me. Absolutely. Well, I do think there's a connection. Absolutely. Because Nobody likes that feeling of being lost and feeling disconnected and not knowing who they are. So I think that there is that relational dynamic to it. And then, of course, we have a God who is a, uh, a hunter. Yeah, I mean, he is the hound of heaven who is seeking us. And, uh, but I've seen some similar statistics that most of the people who leave end up coming back at some point. So let's talk about today, people who are feeling really disconnected. They're feeling isolated. They're feeling alone. In the book, you do a great job of walking people through steps that are that can be used to help find building balance and returning to joy. What are your words of hope for them? Let's say you were to meet a room of 10 people and you only had one minute to tell them something. What would you tell them? Stephanie, what would you say? Well, I do encourage people who are feeling really isolated right now to take a walk. And uh, when you see a neighbor... Make eye contact and smile. If you go to the grocery store, start a conversation with the guy who at the checkout. I have a lot of clients who do not have much community. They don't have any people in their lives that they can start this process with. And so we find that you can begin this process taking those little steps with just the people you see throughout your day. Okay. And for you, Marcus, what would you say? Uh, We talk about ABC in the book, all right? And that's uh, appreciation, beliefs, and connections. And so what we want to do is practice appreciation for five minutes at a time, twice a day, and make it an intentional practice where I'm going to, my only objective right now is to think about something I really like, something I really enjoy, and let my mind kind of relax and rest into into the joy of appreciation for five minutes. And then the beliefs is catching where I am beginning to catastrophize my life (laughs) and I'm running ahead of what's actually going on and I'm now interacting with what I imagine could happen. 
And where anxiety really gets a hold of us is when we get caught up in that imaginary world of what if and what could happen. And so learning to back down and say, well, I'm, I can't deal with what if right now. Here's what I'm afraid of, but I'm going to try to quiet from that and go back to thinking about what I appreciate. So I think in, in connection with uh, what Stephanie was talking about, finding ways to, to just spread joy and make somebody else smile is also a great way to help your own nervous system. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the whole idea of appreciation, that can go so far. The, the return, the dividend return on the act of being acting out appreciation in your life and bathing your mind and soul in that, I think goes so far. So, so far. So many of us are trained to focus on what there is to be scared of and afraid of. And so we reinforce that by looking around at the world and seeing all the things that are scary out there. And we can learn to retrain our brains for appreciation. And we can learn to learn to find things that we can appreciate and, and grow that appreciation muscle so that we then become trained to find the goodness in the world that we live in today. Yeah. A great example today would be the how appreciative I am to the Lord that he made our bodies in such a brilliant amazing and resilient way that something like COVID-19 has an extraordinarily low death rate. And I'm so grateful for that, that he made our bodies that way. He made us with that ability to fight it off. We're 99.7% of the human population is perfectly fine. And I'm so grateful that the Lord made us that way. And it really changes the narrative that you would see. If, you, if we heard that message, it would change the way we can think about something like a natural disaster, if we can think of this as a natural disaster. This is a, yeah, this is something the world has never seen before, right? Where you have simultaneously all over the world, countries shutting down and you, and, and the, the very real, you know, the idea that almost everybody knows somebody who's gotten this, a few, you know, some of us know people who have passed away from it. And so, and then you get on the news and you know, let's face it, the, the uh, fear sells, and so there's a vested interest in making sure that the headlines grab you with fear. In fact, I saw a newspaper the other day, three headlines in it, and the word death was in all three headlines, right? It's like, why? Because, you know, they're trying to hook you in to get you to uh, buy into this. So there's some very real fears, and there's some very real problems that people are dealing with. And one of the ideas behind this is that if my mind will either amplify what I have to fear in my life or it will amplify what there is to enjoy in life. And it's not that I live in denial about the fears, but let's face it, if I just focus on the fear and, and my only path through is to try to think my way through that fear, I'm probably not going to get there. At some point, I've got to quiet my mind from that and I've got to set it on something else for a while and allow my mind the opportunity to realize, you know what, I, I don't always have to be focused on the fear. I, there will be times for dealing with that, but there are also times when it's okay to stop and smell the roses and, and focus on the things that there are to enjoy in life that are still good. So like even this morning, I wrote out like my top, you know, top 11 favorite, you know, places I've ever been kind of list. It was just a way to keep my mind engaged. That's a something. great list. You know, something positive. So, you know, I like Hawaii and Alaska. And I took a little time to write a couple of sentences about each one just to kind of relive and re-experience what it was like to be there and to enjoy that as a, you know, but it's not that I haven't had to deal with some hard things today even or some hard, you know, issues in life. But the ability to get back to a place of joy from that and know that I'm going to be okay. I can deal with this hard stuff because that's not the only thing going on in my life. I can get back to joy 
and to finding a way to quiet and appreciate. Yeah. And one of the things that gives me a lot of joy is our sponsor. Shenandoah Joe Coffee. They give me lots of joy. And so oh, I'm asking that if anybody's interested in some Shenandoah Joe, you just go to our website, therenegadeatlas.com, go to sponsors, click on Shenandoah Joe and use the promo code Renegade when you're checking out. And it will make sure that they continue to support our show. So there's my plug for Shenandoah Joe Coffee. Now, um, one of the things that I've been really excited to ask you to after reading the book and attending the seminar that you guys did a year and a bit ago, what is the fruit of this in your own life? Can you give me an example how this has impacted each of you? Absolutely. So when I was newly married and we start, we had four children very much right back to back and I began to realize how much capacity I truly had. <laughs> it had nothing like parenthood to reveal to you where all of your weaknesses are. And, but I also came to see that parenthood was an excellent opportunity at building joy, at re, retraining my brain, because never had I had so much challenge, but we know from the neuroscience that when we get challenged, that's our biggest opportunity for growth. And so that bounce, not just bouncing back, but bouncing forward. And also there were so many opportunities for joy. The, all the giggles. And I will never forget the first time my child belly got, laughed. It was the oh. best sound I had ever heard. And I still today, when they have friends over and they're like giggling someplace, there's just no better sound to me than the laughter of kids connecting with each other and enjoying time together. And so I just think that in my own life, being a parent, that really that's what these resources are. It's what I learned when I realized I needed to learn more skills in these areas. And I went out looking and reading and just sharing them with whoever else is looking for opportunities to build more joy. Okay. What impact has learning this made to you, Marcus? Well, it's been really profound in the in the sense that I, I was a little desperate to learn this. I mean, when I first started in there, I uh, I say at the beginning of the book that for most of my life, I described myself as mildly depressed. And I went through a season of panic attacks where, I mean, I, I just had anxiety in my body constantly, 24 hours a day. It's like I would, a good day was when it left. And there were hours in the day when I didn't have it in my body. And so I was like, man, what is going on? And I realized that part of what was happening was I was in my mid fifties and I wasn't really ready for the weight of what I was having to handle as I went into the elder years of life. And so for Stephanie, kind of the, the exposure was parenting. For me, I think it was beginning to move into the empty nest uh, things and beginning to, to carry a little more weight and realizing I was no longer the young up and coming guy. I was now, you know, the one everybody was looking to and, and something inside. I remember it uh, just sort of snapped and I was like, there's, there's a problem here and I can't just think my way out of it. I can't just trust my way out of it. You know, I'm not just able to pray my way out of this. What, you know, I can't read my Bible and just make it all better. I'm like, what is going on here? So Learning how to, for, so for me, it was real basic. It's like learning to breathe. You know, I got to take some deep breaths and learning how to kind of calm my body from that upset. And then learning that there is a path back. I don't have to stay here. Even if I get anxious about something, I can 
you know, that the path back isn't just to focus on what I'm anxious about until I solve that problem, right? But that was my only strategy. It's like I just stayed focused on the upset until I, you know, and tried to solve it and I couldn't do it. So what this has done for me is it gave me an, a, variety, a, a kind of a tool bag now that I can use when I, I'm feeling myself getting, uh, getting a little overwhelmed, like, okay, I can try this now. I can do the breathing. I can do the quieting things. I can do things that soothe my body. I can be around people and form connections. I make phone calls to talk to people. It's like, I do everything. It's like, I'll, I, I, I use all of it. And I think the uh, result has been that I don't get as triggered for as long and for, you know, whatever, I'm able to bounce back a whole lot faster. So, you know, I told somebody once before, I said, I mostly wrote this book because I needed it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, it was really helpful just to, uh, you know, work with Stephanie and think this all through. And one of the reasons we tried to make it so practical was that's what I wanted. I wanted this to be immediately something I could use in my own walk and something that I could give to other people that would have some immediate tools for them to apply. Okay. That kind of brings me to, I think, uh, an idea that I associate with this concept. This is an obligate part of life. It's something that we all need. There's not an exception to it. It doesn't mean we all get it and that we'll all embrace it, but it means that for that fullness, that, that completeness in our life, this is an idea that we all need to push into and learn. So I want to applaud you for taking time to, to do this and to, to make this available to people. If there's resources out there that you have available other than just the, this book, and I know, Marcus, you've got a number of books, are there online resources? Do you see this going further? Are there seminar series that people can partake in? You know, what, what other options are there for people? How can they get more plugged in? Well, why not jump in here first? So Stephanie and I actually did a class together that is at the Deeper Walk website. So if you go to Deeper Walk International, we have an, an online institute with a variety of classes in there. There's some wonderful uh, teaching, uh, a whole lot of them, but one of them is Stephanie and I teaching on this book. So if you want to take a deeper dive, the fastest way to do that is to go, th go take that class. Um, I think it's 50 bucks or something like that. And then it's got several hours of uh, information there. And then we also have, I have a, a book called Understanding the Wounded Heart because the other, the flip side of, of building bounce and building my capacity is dealing with the trauma and dealing with the pain and dealing with those things. So I have actually, uh, Understanding the Wounded Heart deals with how do we process the bad things that have happened to me in life. Whereas this book is focusing more on how do I grow my capacity to experience joy. That's the other one's more like dealing with things that uh, rob us of the joy. And I know that Stephanie's got some curriculum and some things she's doing. So she can tell us about that too. Sure. So I have a website that's healingexpressionskc.com. And on there, there's several trauma-informed resilience building resources. There's three to separate programs. One is for schools. Uh, I have one that I use in domestic abuse shelters, uh, foster care and adoption ministries. And then we have uh, one that's called Building Bounce. Uh, it's a pro called the Program Manual. And that is for any community that's interested in running a bounce program. Uh, they, it has lots of activities for kids. And then on there as well is the Building Bounce link. And where I'm in the process of creating a book called Building Bounce with children or for kids. And that will be more specific to working with kids. And then I have a couple partners. We're starting a healing center here in Olathe. And so for that, we're going to create a whole bunch of trauma 
resources for trauma survivors on how to build emotional capacity. Because if you if you've had severe trauma, it is a, a little bit more complicated a process and a little bit different. Sure. So each of you have talked about this. You've talked about woundedness, brokenness, and trauma. What roles? Or what are maybe some of the unknown roles that those events play in our life that once you emerge from, perhaps you can look back and see, but what are the, when we're in the thick of it, what does it do to us, our brokenness, our woundedness, our trauma? Well, I I find it helpful to distinguish two kinds of trauma, right? A trauma and B trauma. B trauma is the bad stuff that happens to us, right? And so those are either very obvious memories in our past, or they're things that we've suppressed and buried, but there's bad stuff that's happened to us. A trauma is a different kind thing, and that is the good stuff we missed. So we talked earlier about needing external regulation when you're an infant. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a baby and people just ignore me when I cry and nobody comes and comforts me and nobody uh, is happy uh, to be with me, I may not be getting B trauma. People aren't beating me. They aren't doing bad things to me. But the very fact that I'm not getting the good stuff that I need is having just as much traumatic effect on my upbringing. So what I find is that B trauma is almost easier to resolve than A trauma because A trauma involves relearning skills that I missed. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So what? Uh, that's one of the reasons why if nobody was there to help me walk me through the process of returning to joy from various emotions, then I just never got that. And so now I'm 50 years old and I'm dealing with an emotion that I, I should have learned about when I was an infant or a toddler, but nobody taught me. Nobody showed me how to do this. So there's this hole in my maturity development and that hole is caused by a trauma. And so that's why I think it's important to distinguish those two. So a lot of times when we, I, I talk to people who are like, well, I didn't go through abuse the way that some people go through abuse, but why do I have you know, why do I struggle with these things? And the answer is almost always because of the A trauma, because of the things that they miss growing up. And so we're particularly trying to focus on that in the building bounce is, uh, is identifying those skills that may have gotten missed and giving you a jump start on how to begin building them, um, you know, later in life. Okay. Thank you both so much for sharing all this amazing wisdom. If they would like to purchase the book, what's the best place for them to go to do that? deeperwalkinternational.org and we've got an online store there and that's the uh, the primary place that's available right now. Um, Stephanie, I don't know if you're selling it at your website. Um, but My link just goes to yours. Okay, there. Yeah. So there you go. It's deeperwalkinternational.org and uh, we're hoping in the future it'll be out at Amazon, but right now that's the only place to get it. Okay, that's excellent. Um, and why don't I do this? I'll get a couple of copies from you guys. And um, if uh, anybody, if any listener would like a copy, send a note to me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna buy two copies from you guys. Okay, so the first two people who email me with their story of why they think they need to build bounce, I will send you a copy of the book. So you just email me directly, chad at therenegadeatlas.com. And when I get it and read through it, and it seems like a good fit, I'm going to send it your way. Otherwise, everybody else, as I said earlier, this is an obligate part of life. You need this just as you need food and water and scripture. So go to the website and order yourself a copy, okay? Um, Any closing thoughts from either of you? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, as you've alluded to, life is... uh is harder than it's ever been. I've heard, heard somebody say the other day that they think everybody wakes up with just a little bit of anxiety these days. And so 
having some skills and some tools that you uh, say, all right, I, I have a definite plan of action for how I'm going to deal with this can really be helpful. And it's one of the things I learned from Stephanie is the importance of having a plan <laughs> when it comes to building <laughs> hope, right? And that is, uh, I don't want to feel hopeless about this, all this. I want to have hope. And that means I need to have a plan. And uh, having a plan means I've, I've got some strategies and some tools laid out that I'm going to turn to. Okay. Yeah. It's not a win. It's not an if, but a win. We will experience adversity. It's a part of our, our life. And the best thing we can do is, is learn how to not only um, handle adversity well in our own lives, but learn to lend our emotional capacity to our children so that they can begin building those skills for their life. As yeah, well. that's a really important point. No person in the world is exempt from negative emotions. No one gets away clean with it. And I think acknowledging that and then having the tools to get your life reoriented is really crucial, really key. I think a lot of people, when they're down in the dumps, they think that everybody else is okay. The reality is we're all pretty broken. We're all born in that same sin DNA. And there's only one thing that makes that eternally right. And that's the ultimate healing that Christ brings us. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much, both of you. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, maybe if you guys have a new book in the future and you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you, okay? Very good. Thanks for having us. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Renegade Atlas, charting a new path for life. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me. Check us out on Facebook, Renegade Atlas. Um, and don't forget about Shenandoah Joe. Order a pound of my personal favorite is the Brazilian Primavera. It's quite amazing. And that's what you both of you are going to get sent from us. Okay. Right. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 